happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, yes. Drop the shadows out of sight, yes. We have to, we have to look behind the shadows. I, standing on my uh, back balcony this morning looking over towards Richmond Wright, kind of a iron taste in the air. <laughs> this is August the 7th, uh, 2012, and the toxic, the toxic tale of our age. Right. Ah, I can taste it, folks. I can taste it. Never mind. We've got the Olympics. I turned them on last night at midnight on demand, it says on my TV. You know, click up demand and look at Kenneth Branagh. Oh, he's such a big kid, Kenneth Branagh. There he was introducing the Olympics, the ceremony at the beginning of the games, you know. He's like a kid in um, middle school, the way <laughs> the way he has this big hat. I guess he's sort of a Charles Dickens. I don't know who he was. Uh, he came in in a carriage. Uh, I looked at all that um, dress up and I thought, if there's one thing that's going to last longer than the British Empire, it's stories and books and plays and pageants about the British Empire. <laughs> they never quit. He climbed to the top of a mountain. The mountain was going to turn into a mine, you know, to show the transition from the agrarian age to the industrial age. Anyway, he pulled out the big book and he read from Shakespeare's The Tempest. Oh, Edward de Vere's The Tempest. I don't know anymore. Uh, never mind. I, I mustn't get off track. There is a new movie called Anonymous, all about Edward de Vere, the Earl of, being the real Shakespeare. But I got to save that. Anyway, Kenneth Branagh read from uh, The Tempest, the lines of Caliban, you know, the the awful guy, the dark spirit. Uh, he's having a good day, and he says... Uh, be not afeard, the isle is full of sounds and sweet air. Yes, pardon me, I misspoke. How about that? I can't believe I did that. I think I shall, I shall be damned to a particular circle of hell for forgetting a line. The lines go this way. Be not afeard, the isle is full of noises, sounds, sweet air that give delight and hurt not. Sometimes a thousand 
twangling instruments will hum about mine ears, and sometime voices that, if I then had waked after long sleep, will make me sleep again and then in dreaming. The clouds, methought, would open and show riches ready to drop upon me, that when I waked, I cried to dream again. Now, I have absolutely no idea why Kenneth Branagh picked that particular passage to read for the opening of the Olympics. I suppose something to the effect that the future might be better, you know, that, um, you know, if we take a nap, maybe when we wake up, <laughs> the the uh, the uh, the world would look better than it did. I I always think that in the tempest, the only thing that holds up is Miranda's line: "Oh, brave new world that has such creatures in it." You know, it's the first time she sees boys. Yes, she just loves these men. Uh, God bless Miranda. Never mind. Uh, I don't know. I was thinking watching Kenneth Branagh, how he and, of course, his good wife, um, ex-wife Emma Thompson, are such perfect, uh, what would we call it, uh, templates maybe for the age. When I grew up, the theatrical couple of our time, my time, uh, was Laurence Olivier and his wife Vivian Lee. She ultra-feminine, he ultra-masculine. Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson are uh, different types. Uh, not that, uh, well, the Oliviers were also androgynous. <laughs> I, I uh, well, I had heard the rumor that uh, Lawrence Olivier had a long-time affair with Danny Kaye, but uh, that's beside the point. Um, Same-sex relations seem to be... Uh, the fashion, uh, although, let's see, it's um, the character, the actor Greg Wise in Sense and Sensibility is the father of the child of Emma Thompson, a little girl. She says that her little girl's name is Jane.com. That's kind of a trip. Anyway, I always associate Kenneth Branagh with Shakespeare because of his terrific Henry V and... Uh, uh, Emma Thompson I associate with Jane Austen. See, Shakespeare, we go back 400 years, Jane Austen 200 years. And where will we all be in 200 more years? Uh, huh? I just wonder uh, if you believe in the theory of the transmigration of souls. <laughs> Let's see. What, what, what will we transmute into... Uh, future age. Uh, I remember when Emma Thompson won uh, prizes, her screenplay for uh, Sense and Sensibility. She said she worked on uh, the novel for five years. Uh, so I think she took it fairly seriously. I am an Anglophile, of course, and I I am soaked in the tradition of British theater. Uh, I I think that Emma and Kenneth have brought about a kind of rebirth of theater and literature. They are true moderns. 
they dare to go where most of us did not in the 50s. Uh, they've certainly transmuted Shakespeare and Austen, giving us new eyes with which to see the past. Uh, I think, of course, their own marriage was doomed to dissolution because of the historical inevitability of the 1990s. Our age is the age of individuation. There just isn't enough room for these giant egos. Uh, I remember Vivian Lee refused to get a divorce because she wanted to keep her title. That's a terrific, <laughs> terrific reason, yes. Uh, Kenneth and Emma definitely were seduced by Hollywood, God bless them, uh, just as uh, Vivian Lee and Laurence Olivier were. Let's face it, the bottom line is the, the money. Uh, Vivian Lee in uh, Gone with the Wind and Olivier, I think, I think Wuthering Heights would be the movie I would pick for his Hollywood essence. Uh, anyway, uh, I think that Kenneth Branagh is what I would call a British craftsman, a hard-working actor-director. Uh, the Henry V, uh, that's what brought him to the top, the top of the pyramid with the movie audiences. Uh, it is a sharp contrast to Laurence Olivier's 1945 Henry V, which was, I thought, kind of a... Uh, what kind of a fairy tale children's book? Um, all is it all dressed up in fantasy heroics and storybook uh, looks? Uh, Kenneth Branagh went deeper. He went in for psychological bedrock. Uh, he revitalized the play and heightened its humanity because, well, it's a real anti-war play. He does brooding meditations on the horrors of politics, the horrors of war. Uh, even Emma Thompson's role as the childlike French princess, you know, she's about to be bartered or sold in marriage. It takes on a sad, dark tone. Her frivolity is suddenly frozen. She catches the eye of the king, played by Paul Schofield. Uh, and she, she hides behind a door, shuts the door on him as he passes. And uh, she recognizes that he's on his way to seal her fate. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I caught the tone and the texture of our era watching the movie, the anti-war uh, shadows. I think um, we do try to give an anti-war quality to our theater these days. Uh, I, I don't see romantic movies about war, except for the pictures of Mel Gibson, maybe, but Kenneth Branagh is always risky and eclectic and... Uh, he's also a lot of fun. You know, he incorporates a little James Cagney right along with his Laurence Olivier, he says that he's no Romeo, that he's a laughable actor in the lyric roles, but he says that he, this is a quote, he says, he gives good soldier. 
he did a brilliant performance uh, in one of the tragedies. He plays the villain Iago in a screen version of Othello, a much neglected film. If you get a chance to see it, um, he plays the manipulative character Iago, kind of as a torturer, uh, uh, a sadist. Uh, his motive seems to be a homoerotic passion for the Moor, for Othello. I read that subtext in a close-up of his close-up of his face. He's in utter anguish as he embraces Othello in a scene where he promises Othello he will give his life in the service of Othello's revenge. Uh, now, that's uh, nothing new in the interpretation of Iago's motive. Uh, uh, he's out to destroy Othello's marriage. I think he's, of course, jealous of the Moor and uh, jealous of the, uh, what is it, the other, uh, Cassio, the other young man who's getting his job. But actually, Kenneth Branagh made me feel some pity for Iago's thwarted soul. He's very modern, miserable. Uh, yes, he's willing to destroy everything around him to, what is it, uh, revenge himself on the world for his own unhappiness. Now, we see this breaking out all over in our own culture. Look around everywhere we see thwarted, frustrated, anguished souls lashing out. <laughs> Give him a gun and look what happens. Actually, uh, I love this scene in Othello when Kenneth Branagh is, uh, well, he's not actually having sex with his wife. He's tormenting her, but he's, he's tossing her around on a bed sadistically. And uh, the scene is, what is it? It's a sort of heterosexual hell that so many people are familiar with. Uh, in real life, Kenneth Branagh has said that the end of his marriage, that is, his real-life marriage to Emma Thompson, was in no way the fault of his wife. He's uh, quite the gentleman. She, on the other hand, speaks of breaking her fingers in the letting go. Uh, I like her best when I think of her as the literary lady. I'm thinking she lived in Hampstead with her mother, Philida Law. I'm not sure there's still... Well, there's a sort of feminist enclave. She and her mom and her sister, Sophie Thompson. Uh, they, uh, yes, her sister lives a few doors down the road. I think that it's... Um, yeah, I think they all seem to draw strength from the women in the family. Uh, I think that, well... Emma Thompson is certainly more bawdy than Jane Austen, but 200 years makes a big difference. Uh, Emma Thompson grew up in uh, a group, a comedy club. Well, uh, she was trained at the Footlights. That's the comedy club that was made famous by Peter Cook and John Cleese, folks like that. Uh, she was a founding member of something called the Women's Hour the first all-female review at Cambridge. How about that? She 
is reported to be a loose cannon, <laughs> especially on her own BBC comedy series. Now, that was a scandal. Uh, my favorite, the one that stays in my mind, I read it uh, oh, some years ago, it stays in my mind uh, because it's one of the reasons given why the series was canceled. Emma Thompson referred to a vulnerable part of the male anatomy as, quote, a bald pink mouse, unquote. Yep, get that girl off the air. <laughs> In spite of her madcap approach to acting, I've seen her do some incredibly funny bits in uh, as a guest actor on some sitcoms. Anyone who has seen Emma Thompson in, uh, oh, Howard's End from the E.M. Forrester novel, Howard's End with Anthony Hopkins and Helena Bonham Carter, or maybe, maybe her very best, uh, although there's no humor, not, not much humor in it, is the, the performance in Carrington, the woman who loved, uh, Lytton Strachey. Uh, he wrote that book about the imminent Victorians, you know. Carrington and Howard's Inn would be the way I would start to study Emma Thompson's work. Uh, nobody can doubt her depth and her passion if you've seen those films. Uh, I wish I could see her performance as the fool in King Lear. I have read about her performance, but uh, that one I just have to wait see it in my imagination uh, she keeps turning up if you keep keep an eye out for her she pops up in all sorts of places uh, I can't I can't bear Nanny McPhee that's just well maybe she did Nanny McPhee because she has children now anyway she says that she keeps her Oscar for Howard's end in the lavvy that is the toilet but uh, she certainly doesn't disdain all this fame. Uh, she uses it. Uh, she says the best part is the dress-up. You know, she says it's like monarchy. She loves the hats. <laughs> I think I think she has the pattern of uh, a literary saint. Uh, I think that in our day, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think theater has pretty much taken over the work of religion. At least for us, uh, those of us for whom religion is basically just magic, uh, the theater is what we use to interpret our emotional lives. Old Gertrude Stein said that psychology, yes, psychology had done away with the novel. It's funny, I think of the novel and the great plays as the place we go to study our lives, the passages we go through. Theater for me is left-wing theology. Historically, you know, the theater split off from the Orthodox Church, you know, during the Reformation, that kind of thing. Uh, the players went out on the steps outside the church, and that's where they did the bawdy stuff. Uh, at the same time, the theater does retain some of the magic of the ancient religious rituals. Think about the Greeks and the chorus. Uh, yes, the Greek chorus, that's all those of us who stand outside, uh, outside the castle. 
yelling at the king, saying, Oh, king, don't kill all of us before lunch. You know, it's it's what happens. Well, we, we put together demonstrations and pageants. A play, that's right. Let's Let's put on a show. I think that uh, Emma Thompson's screenplay for Sense and Sensibility transforms secular humanism, puts it on the page, you know. We go from the page to the stage. In our day, look around, I see sentiment coming back. It's due, it's overdue. Please, please, let us hope that it's not sentimentality. Uh, in the 19th century, all the women writers seem to have been the daughters of clergymen. Think of Lawrence Olivier's family. They were in the church. Uh, but the plot always involved redemption. Think of uh, the great George Eliot uh, I think that uh, Jane Austen fuels the feminism in Emma Thompson. Both women are driven to speak for themselves. Virginia Woolf, in an earlier generation, wrote that poetry must have a mother as well as a father. Woolf wrote that it's impossible to go to the great male writers for help, no matter how often... We go to them for pleasure. I guess, well, I think that marriage is still confining even today. Women have to go, go it alone, you know. There is no arm to lean on, as Virginia Woolf says. Shakespeare's sister has to go on her own. Uh, I imagine Kenneth Branagh, yes, operating in the spirit of William Shakespeare or Edward de Vere, as you please, the Earl of uh, Oxford. Uh, I love that movie. I'm not going to talk about it today, but if you get a chance to see the movie Anonymous, it suggests that Edward de Vere is not only the man who wrote Shakespeare's plays, but that he is the son of Queen Elizabeth I, and that he was... Uh, what is it? He was selected to be the next king by one of um, the commoners, Lord Cecil, the guy that uh, made Elizabeth's reign possible. But that he was such a failure at politics that he wound up uh, not in politics, but in poetry. Uh, it's such an interesting idea. It It works for me. I, I think we'll have to study it some more. Uh, anyway, I like to think about Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson sitting at the breakfast table and uh, using their personas, that is, Shakespeare and Jane Austen, eating their croissants or their biscuits and tea and... Uh, the Jane Austen persona is sitting on the lawn reading the works of Sappho and Shakespeare is saying what a big book for such a little head <laughs> and then the Jane Austen persona gathers up her skirts and finds her way to the writing desk and 
uh, writes her little satires about his homoerotic subtext, that is, Shakespeare's. Uh, of course, all Shakespeare's plays are terminally androgynous. The men are women and the women are men. They are what Virginia Woolf calls man-womanly or woman-manly. That is to say, they're interesting. Okay, now, uh, I think, I think that Shakespeare, but, uh, the, the Shakespeare that we know, the guy who lived at Stratford-on-Avon, is definitely a zero so far. Uh, we, we don't have any reason to imagine that he wrote the plays. Now, my teachers always told me that a commoner could do anything in the Elizabethan age, but I keep remembering that this is a man who did not teach his daughters to read in the movie Anonymous. He is um, supposed to be illiterate, could not form his letters. Of course, he was an actor, so he could um, memorize his lines. He could read all right, but um, he could not, literally could not write. Uh, I don't know. Jane, that is, Jane Austen, uh, did nothing but write. And, of course, she stayed at home with other women, primarily her sister Cassandra. After her, well, after her death, her sister Cassandra was pretty much brokenhearted. Uh, I'm still wondering, still wondering... What will become of this kind of persona, this feminine and masculine persona in 200 years? I don't think that we're going to become hermaphrodites. I think that we will still be both masculine and feminine. But how these qualities will sort themselves out between the genders, that's, that's something I keep looking at the theater. I keep looking at the new characters. Try and decide. Uh, frankly, the what is it? The roles that I see women playing in the last few years are terribly depressing. They seem to be pseudo or uh, ersat males, just uh, ridiculous um, copies of male uh, extremes. Anyway. I keep thinking that the Elizabethans gave us all those earthy pleasures, and those aren't masculine or feminine, and they gave us, well, the Victorians then gave us all those progressive hopes, those virtues, those idealistic and romantic notions. Those weren't uh, legitimate or realistic, they were just ideas. But all of those, uh, all of those characters... Uh, they are kind of like shamans. They tell us which way we're headed. Uh, I'm looking around, I'm looking around, I'm looking for priests, and of course the one that I find is Toni Morrison. I was talking about Toni Morrison uh, over the, the days we had the uh, marathon. There's a big festival in September, to uh, celebrate the life of life and works of Toni Morrison, and I think I want to spend most of the time that I have left between now and September uh, reading to you from her works and telling you about her. Uh, 
I'm not quite sure the date. It's at the University of Virginia, and there is going to be, uh, uh, well, all of the women who admire her work will be there, and we will have all the uh, the ceremonies appropriate to the uh, the life of our Nobel laureate. Uh, one thing, let's see, I had nine movies to tell you about today, and I've run out of time. Try to see the movie Desert Flower, although it's a rough one. That's the one that deals with uh, uh, genital mutilation, if you can handle it, but it also deals with some of the most beautiful things in women's lives, the best and the worst. It's called Desert Flower. There's also a movie, well, there's a a new production of Timon of Athens about the spiritually bankrupt world in which we live. That's a play that some people think Shakespeare wrote it. I am of two minds again. Timon of Athens. We'll talk about that one next time. Uh, It's at the National Theater in London, but apparently it will be here by Christmas. Uh, It's... uh, all about what happens when you have too much money and then you lose it all <laughs> and take revenge on the society around you. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air, God is willing, this time next week. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. There's your picture. Drop the shadow.